Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. I, I uh, feel like I, I haven't talked to you in a couple of weeks. Kessler did an episode on that, that weird game, Hearthstone. Freaks me out. I, uh, <laughs> I stayed away from it. <laughs> gave you hives? You gave me, like, gave yeah. me hives. I stayed home. So, exciting things. We got the full spoiler on Friday. Yeah, it's so really exciting. We, uh, we know what's coming up. And it's it's a, definitely an interesting set. I don't, I don't, I'm not completely settled down on... What my full opinion on it is? Let's call a spade a spade. This is a huge disappointment. The set, <laughs> it's got some cards that are interesting. It's definitely, we're going to talk about our top 10 favorite cards in the set each. But overall, when you compare this to some of the last, I mean, maybe we got a little spoiled that like we just got Delve in the last block. And we got like a bunch of cool stuff out of Origins and Abbott is insane. I don't know. When I look at this, I just go, there was no card in this set that I saw the spoiler and I went, that's the best card in the set for sure. 100% that's the best card. It was like, best case, I was like, yeah, that's probably the best. I mean, it's eh, maybe I would see play in the second, maybe. I think some of the issue, and we talked about this earlier uh, off of the podcast, but the fact that like they focused really hard on allies and Eldrazi's like, yeah. synergy, it feels very similar to kind of what Kamigawa block felt like, where it's like, mm. you're very synergistic with yourself, and maybe a, an older set that is popular. So, like, yes, there's more than Kamigawa had because Arcane is not anywhere right. else. But, like, it is very, like, parasitic with itself. And I, that's generally a sign of a not my favorite type of set environment. Well, yeah. I mean, so the th- I was saying this to you earlier. Like, I noticed three things. And for the record, guys, before we just, like, start ragging on the set, like, I haven't played with the cards yet. So, like, I don't know. Well, there's I mean, also sweet stuff in it. And we're going to talk about some of that sweet stuff. But yeah, it, it's definitely... F of Cons block, where it's like the most powerful set for modern, probably printed since New Phyrexia. There was some awesome stuff. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is like, oh right, this is what sets for standard are supposed to look like. Because when you, it's interesting you would compare it to Kamigawa. Because if you look back at Kamigawa, you're like, okay, the thing out of Kamigawa that has the most unintentional synergy with the rest of Magic's history is the reference of spirits. And they, you saw this when Modern Masters two, when they chose to use a lot of spirit cards and make Soul Shift a thing. Because you can actually combine it with other spirits that have been printed. Right. The issue with making allies a reference is that allies have shown up in exactly two blocks ever. Two sets. Yeah. And, or and two th- blocks now, two sets before this. And basically, I hate, as a designer and as a magic card player, I don't like when I look at a card and I go, I'm being told how to use this, and it's the only way I can use this. As well, opposed to, like, I'm being told that this is a card, and this is what I have, and this is a puzzle, and I can try to solve it any way I want. That's what's interesting to me. I, I think I do think, though, that they did something correct here, and which kind of goes against what you're saying. In this one, there are a lot of cards that are just arbitrarily allies. So back in Zendikar block, the original one, every ally wasn't like did the ally thing, and their biggest regret was not making a lot of the level up creatures just happenstance allies. Yeah, because they would work with the allies, but not necessarily be like mechanically linked. Sure. And in this one, they did that. So there's like the white black vampire that just like every turn you gain a life and they lose a life. Yeah. And it's an ally. It has nothing to do with allies other than just it being an ally. Yeah. Um. Interesting stuff. I mean, um, so guys, by the end of the episode, we we are going to count down each of our top ten favorite cards in the set. Not just um, by the end, like soon. Soon. Well, <laughs> before we do that, though, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the most recent Grand Prix, Grand oh, Prix was, Oklahoma City, yep. which was absolutely effing nuts. Uh, it was. It was. 
the best top eight I've ever watched in coverage. So I'm just gonna see if I can recount these off of just offhand. The eight decks that we saw in the top eight, we had a, a, a kind of a rogue brew affinity deck. Uh, it was close to a normal list, but it definitely had some cool innovations. We had a scape shift deck. We had a merfolk deck. We had an elves deck. We had a Zach Elsick, friend of the podcast. Zach Elsick played his lantern, uh, control. lantern prison deck. You had a traditional blue red twin deck. You had a did I say scape shift already? Nope. You had scape shift deck. Maybe you did, but whatever. You, you said had it again. amulet bloom. I had already said scape shift. You had amulet bloom, and then you had Naya burn. Um, that is an insanely diverse top eight. Yep. It demonstrates everything that is good about modern. It makes me happy to know that the version of twin that was in the finals is classic blue red twin, not Grix's twin. It's everything is right. It's just like right. I, this it, is this is so we talked about this when Tom Lapilla was on the first time, but this yeah. is why I don't want Lapilly. Lapilly, just sorry. for the record, uh, <laughs> you get it wrong every time. <laughs> this is why I don't want bannings to just be a part of Pro Tour situations because imagine if you know the next modern Pro Tour, every pro has had the entire year to like just play the modern format that exists. Like we've had different top eights the last four Grand Prix completely different ones and like random decks like Am- uh, Amulet Bloom for the first one and then Shut that was for like Goryeo's Vengeance and the next one and then Merfolk and Elves won two Grand Prix and now Lantern Control like every single top eight has had like a weird deck no one expected in it every single time and that's amazing yeah I think you know we've we, we won't digress too much on the subject because we've talked about it at length but it seems that the biggest the biggest complaint of the format actually comes from the high-level pros that are looking for a competitive edge, and it's difficult in modern because it's such a wide field. But if you take that away from it and you just say, at a high level, competitive magic should be fun, it should be interesting, there should be a certain amount of parity, and you should have the ability to play any number of 30 decks, then modern is your format. It's the best format right. there is for that. Well, I think that's why most pros, and I think this also is one of the reasons this deck is so often in top eights, most pros lean towards just them playing Splinter Twin. Yeah. It's the deck that gives the most options. Uh, Tom Lapilli said this when he was just on, uh, basically the fact that like it doesn't really have any necessarily bad matchup because it can always just, worst case scenario, try and race in combo. Right. Um, so that's definitely where I think w- why that deck, A, is so often in top eights because pros lean on it so heavily, and B, why it's so good. Um, yeah, it was, it was very cool. That, I mean... I would highly recommend to any modern fan that is listening to this and hasn't looked at that top eight yet, go and look it up on YouTube. The semifinals, as well as the finals, are some of the most bananas games I've oh, yeah. ever seen in Magic. He what? Uh, he surgical extractions three Misty Rainforces out of his hand yeah. in turn zero or turn one. <laughs> I think it, yeah, it was uh, game. Was it game one or game? It was game two? two. Game two. So yeah, so game two, Zach Elsick goes surgical on your Misty, he dispels it, he goes second surgical on your Misty, because now he knows that I need to get rid of it, and he's got two more yep. in his hand! He got three... Oh my god, that was amazing. I mean, some of, just some highlights from some of the things I watched in the matchups. The the splitter twin on a Snapcaster Mage, making bolting him f- for 15 by cloning the splitter twin, cloning the Snapcaster Mage, flashing back lightning bolt, casting two more lightning bolts, then casting splitter twin on the cloned Snapcaster Mage yeah. to clone it again to then fire another lightning bolt for the win at 15 life was one of the most insane plays I've ever seen in Magic. You heard the announcers counting it down and they were like, okay, let's see here. Is he going to be able to? He would need seven red mana and then two more. <laughs> He's got the mana. This is this is after like five or six turns earlier. The, the announcers were noticing that, that BBD had missed the fact that he could have he bounced his Splinter Twin 
off of his snapcaster, back with to his cryptic. hand with cryptic, and then recast it on deceiver exarch, and he missed it three turns in a row, and then he killed the deceiver before he could do it. It was a crazy game. That one was nuts. Uh, in the end, Karanos beat Lantern Control, um, which in was game two. So game one, Lantern Control won. Game two. Corona, Karanos won, and then game three was the, just like, the final match. Yeah, that was crazy. The the Affinity matchup, which was like this weird version of Affinity that was playing Master of Ethereum, Galvanic Blast, Hangerback Walker. Um, it was very interesting. It, yeah. it, it wasn't like that off the beaten path, but it definitely had some cool innovations. a little slower than your traditional Affinity. Uh, that one ended up going... It, he came out strong. He got thwarted by Twin. It went to mid game. It looked like it was gonna. It, it was just getting there. It was getting there. It was getting there. And then all of a sudden, the game shifted. I think that's the one we were talking. That's that's the five lightning bolt game, wasn't it? I don't know. I think it was. Anyway, the affinity matchup was crazy. Um, you guys should just look this, these up. You can see Retail playing Merfolk, also friend of the podcast, Paul Retail. Um, yeah, by by far my favorite. Favorite top eight I've ever watched on stream. Yeah, I mean it was, it was Merfolk versus Elves. That was insane. Yeah. It is so much the Dwinnin's Elite, the new two mana Origins card that gets you a one one was a heavily leaned on card. Yep, just a very 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 fun tournament. All right, so I think it's time to do top ten cards from Battle for Zendikar for I'm Modern. Pretty, yeah, I mean I, I as I said already, I don't think that these cards are good. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean just compared to some of the other things that we've actually talked about in the past. So, like, my top ten, like, okay, this should be, like, a metaphor, actually, for, not a metaphor. This should be indicative of how I feel about the set. Once I got to number four, it was easy for me to rank four through ten. But one, two, and three, to actually decide which of these cards would even rank in a top three on a top ten, that's the difficult part, because I don't think these cards are very good. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I, I do think, the one comment I have to say is I think the power level is pretty flat for the modern possible cards. Yeah. That, like... When you really try and rate which one's the top 10, our lists are definitely going to be... I think this is going to also be the situation where our lists are going to be the most different ever. Interesting. Because you like these cards more than I do. No, I, I, based off of me peeking, I think we have different <laughs> cards. All right. <laughs> All right, interesting. All right, so number 10. First on the list, we yeah. go down. Uh, mine is Crumble to Dust. So that's the... Uh, Colorless, sewing salt. bunny ears, sewing salt. I have that at number four. Yeah, I think that's definitely going to see play. Uh, yeah. I, I guess the reason I didn't put it higher is it is just like a blatant sideboard card that isn't necessarily better. I mean, it is better because it's one less mana easier to splash. Yeah. Um, and it like is I guess less handed out by anti like f- anti red cards. Yeah, like, I mean, I, just, I think the reason for me that I put it at, at four, the reason I think it's a better card than than you're giving it credit for is that. Sewing Salt has always been a powerful effect. It's a little slow, but one of the biggest hindrances of that card was that having to play double red just so you could get away with Sewing Salt was always kind of like, well, if this fits into my sideboard, I'll do it, but it's not like I'm, I'm not going to go right, out of this way is much it. more splashable. Yeah, and that that's very relevant. Um, I also think, just in general, Sewing Salt's lack of availability. I think just now everyone's going to have this card, and I think yeah. sideboard cards are often... Not for everyone, but for a lot of players, especially at GPs, you're like, well, I don't have Sewing Salts, so I'll play yeah, some totally, other card. Totally, like, yeah, yeah. Right. So it's, it's not a card you go out of your way to get, but now everyone's just going to have access to the effect. I've like totally been at a Grand Prix and been like, oh, I can't find Sewing Salts. All right, dealers, who has a Beta Stone Rain I can buy? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what's your number What's your number 10? My number 10 is kind of a funny one. Um, and this is classic. Like This is a classic like of the kind of card that I would put on that's probably just garbage. Actually, let's go back. 
So for those who don't know, I realize I didn't explain what sewing salt even is. So it's this card, Crumble to Dust, is one red, three colorless. Uh, exile target land, and then you can search target players, uh, the your opponent, uh, it's not, hand and it's library. It's just non-basic, though. Yeah, non-basic. Yeah. Exile target, non-basic, and search their hand and library for all other non-basics with the same land and exile them. So it, it's hand, really graveyard good. Hand It's classic lobotomy effect. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's meant for Tron. It, it hates out Tron decks. It also is okay against amulet decks because you can get like a chunk of their bounce lands to make it slightly less good um, and like random other utility lands theoretically if you need it. Um, the difference between this one is it's devoid and it costs, Sewing Salt costs two red and two colorless and this costs one red, three colorless. The last thing that I would say that makes the f- that makes this interesting to me and this is, this is very fringe is that often on Curve, if you play an accelerant of some kind to get to four mana on turn three, a turn early, uh, it is less likely that two of those extra mana are going to be, you'll have two red. So the fact that you you can basically accelerate with colorless mana largely to cast us a turn early is valuable. It makes it, it's just the flexibility of it on right. all levels is better. So, all right. so what is your number 10? Uh, okay, so my number 10 is Grave Birthing. And this is the kind of card I, that I get made fun of for calling out. Um, make sure that I'm right on the stats here, but I believe Grave Birthing is one black, two colorless instant. Remove target card from a graveyard from the game, exile it, put a 0-1 Eldrazi spawn token into play, and draw a card. So it also has devoid. It also has devoid, um, <laughs> which, by the way, I think devoid is like it's fine. Like for the sake of design, I understand it. It's cool. Like, but it's f- it's it's so they don't use tribal anymore. Yeah. It's literally the replacement for tribal. I'm just like, why am I paying for a lot of these effects? I'm like, you're making me feel like I'm gaining an advantage by this having devoid. So I should be paying more mana or feel more fortunate that it costs what it costs because it's colorless. Like it's so fringe. But anyway, even if this wasn't devoid, I would look at it exactly the same. It's a card that I would put into my sideboard in certain matchups where I really need to aggressively target a graveyard. And I realize that you get like Purify the Grave, which has like the same deal with Flashback for one. The difference being here, I think that at three mana, the fact that it cycles and is going to accelerate you the turn after you play it is kind of relevant. I do think, like, I think it's kind of innocuously powerful. I don't think people are going to really think about it. But when you consider, okay, if I've considered playing Shred Memory before, if nobody knows what that card is, it's a transmute card from Ravnica that's one black, one colorless. Exile up to four target cards from a player's graveyard, but it also has transmute uh, for two black and a colorless to search for a two mana spell. So it's an interest. That's like one of those interesting cards that's dual purpose. This to me is kind of the same thing, except it's at instant speed. You get a card and you get a ramp out of it. It's. I mean, I guess the ramp is a thing, but why not just play Relic of Progenitus? Because Relic of Progenitus is like a doesn't eh. <laughs> Relic doesn't or, target or, though, right? Relic is exile I mean, or, a card or it's the whole graveyard. Yeah, true. So the so what I like about this card is that it's an instant. So you have so you have it at your disposal in response to whatever them it's like going a surprise. Yeah, yeah. them okay. them going for okay. it means you get to respond. It's the kind of card that in in a GP or any tournament, a lot of people aren't going to expect you're playing this card. It's a bad card on the surface. But if you get them with it once, it's not like I just get you. It's not okay. They their Finks goes to to flashback for three mana. You exile the Finks without persist. You draw a card and you get to ramp your next turn. Okay, it doesn't seem good. bad. To me. I, I I think then this is a card that feels good in decks that aren't playing green or white. I guess sure, but, but that's still three other colors. So yeah, it's interesting. I could be wrong as a sideboard card. I like it. Cool. All right. Now, number nine. My number nine is Scattered to the Winds. Uh, this is the blue-blue colorless counterspell. It's the cancel uh, that For has... six mana makes a 3-3? Three, three? Yes, exactly. 
Um, I think has awakened. It has awakened. So it makes a three three as awakened three. It's a cancel. I think that this is the type of spell that offers a lot of versatility, and I think people are kind of underrating awaken cards in general. Yeah, I think awaken's powerful. Yeah, I, I mean, it's really evoke. It's literally evoke. Yes, it's slightly no. different since it's the land versus a creature, and you're like not technically getting an extra card because your land now is a creature that was in play. But in reality, it's you get a spell, or you can pay extra mana to get a creature with that spell effect still happening, which is exactly what Evoke did. This, I think, is their like answer to be able to fix Evoke. It's very cool. This specifically on Cancel is a counter spell that can eventually become a creature is exactly what control decks are generally looking for. Kind of. I, I thought about this card. The reason I avoided it was, first of all, anytime you play a card like this, so the, the, general, the general theme when you're evaluating cards that have a reasonable early cost that late game become more explosive you have to you have to balance would i play this early effect at this cost anyway because if i wouldn't there's no reason to dilute the power of my deck with the the idea in mind that late game i'm going to have something even more powerful you would never play cancel in modern you probably wouldn't play Dissolve in Modern. It's a format that a three-mana counterspell, for the most part, is not going to be welcome in. Right. I, so I agree it's that difficult to justify. That's all. I agree that previous cancels and all of their slightly beneficial effects in the format don't see play. But I think that having the effect that you get a threat out of the deal, but don't always have to, is something that's worth consideration. Yeah. I mean, my biggest argument is just we talked to Chapin about Grixis Control, and he explained... Your normal card advantage spell in modern, like Sphinx's Revelation, doesn't really see play. It doesn't work. So what you have to do is snowball together a bunch of small card advantage spells that are efficiently costed to gain your card advantage. This doesn't do that. This is much more like the late game haymaker. But this does add a lot of versatility. Like the fact is that yes, there's a late game haymaker inside the card, but most of the time it's just a counter spell. I'll give you that. Maybe as a one of in control decks, or like maybe if like Blue Tron wanted to play this as a one of, I would be okay with it. Like just. It's just something. It's like Fair a enough. different thing. But, All right. You're number nine. Um, I love that I'm the guy giving advice when my number nine card is Zada Hedron Griner, the uh, one red, three colorless goblin ally oh. legend. <laughs> he's a 3-3. Three, three. <laughs> uh, and his his ability, I believe, is that when he's targeted by a spell that could target multiple creatures, copy its effect and target all creatures you control with the same effect. I think it's when he is the only target of a spell copy that and target every creature you control. So the reason I put this on my list is, is basically this. He costs four mana, and he has a a very broken ability, if used correctly, that if you get some sort of parallel effect, um, obviously people have talked about Titan Strength, or people have talked about cantrips and you know drawing a bunch of extra cards. It's similar to like Precursor Golem and the way people thought about Precursor Golem, except that it costs four mana as opposed to five. Four is the barometer. It affects for, your other creatures and not just Golem. Yeah, and four is sort of the barometer of you know what spells in modern can be playable. This is the kind of thing where I go, okay, somebody's going to get really clever or cute down the line, and somebody's going to design a deck that takes advantage of this ability and has like a basically an instant win off of this. I mean, in your defense, the internet also freaked out about this card. Yeah. I don't see it. I see it as a cool commander general. I see it as maybe something in standard, I guess, but I don't. I'm a little more weary on this card. He gets lightning bolted and he dies, which makes him bad. But aside from that, if you're going to go for like any of these, I play my four mana creature and then the next turn I win the game ideas, which is quite possible, then maybe it works. Fair enough. All right. Number eight. Uh, my number eight is Smothering Abomination. 
So this is a card that is too black, too colorless. Every turn, it has Devoid. Uh, every single turn at the beginning of your upkeep, you have to sacrifice a creature. It has Flying. It is a 4-3. But when it, the important one, the one that's really valuable, is whenever you sacrifice a creature, draw a card. I got one word for you. Lightning Bolt. Right, but it comes into play and you can just sack all... Like, the point is, is it's a combo piece. Sure. You have a bunch of creatures in play and some sack outlet, you play it, and then you sacrifice all your things and draw 15 cards. Theoretically, Blood Artist might be in play as well, and you do damage. I mean, the idea is it's definitely a beater that gets around the non-Lightning Bolt decks, and yeah. when you have a Lightning Bolt deck, worst case scenario, you get effects because you can use it as soon as it comes into play. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm with you. It's, I, I looked at it. It's a sweet card. Like, I, I definitely am like, oh, my God, 4-3 flying, and it's, yeah, I get to draw cards and things die. It seems really cool, but uh, for modern, 4-mana, and just gets lightning bolted, and it doesn't just, like, the. I, I mean, that's going against everything I just explained about Zada, except that if I untap with him, I'm assuming I can win the game the next turn. Right, so, but you have to untap with him. Here, you play him, and you draw, You like, if they try to remove it, you use whatever sack alley you have to just draw a bunch of cards. It, it interacts similar to, like, I would play it in a birthing pod deck. Yeah. Or now it gets collected company deck, but I definitely think there's a lot of power there that also can very easily be broken. I can handle that. I can handle that. Um, What's your number eight? My number eight is Brutal Explosion, um, a card that probably I'm more of a fan of actually just in life than actually for modern because like one red one blue two colorless devoid instant choose one or both return target spell or creature to its owner's hand creature right not permanent uh it's it's return target spell or creature to its owner's hand or and or uh brutal explosion deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker if that permanent would be put into a graveyard that turn exile it instead couple things that make it relevant first of all you can deal two damage to a creature or a planeswalker so it it is relevant in the sense that often it's two damage to a creature in one of these split scenarios because they're trying to kind of sort of say you get value here yeah, you kill finks you kill like like that is a very good effect like there yeah. are there are definitely reasons to play one mana, or just any amount of mana for two damage, exile a thing. Well, yeah, because the card from um, the card from Avacyn Restored, the one Magma mana, Spray. Um, there was Magma Spray, and then there was the one from Avacyn Restored that did the same thing: one red, two yeah, colors, yeah, yeah. or d- two damage, exile. Um, there's that card, and then Liliana. Yeah, it kills Liliana, which is which is interesting. And then also, I mean, re- also if it exiles it, it makes it so their goifs are worse because they don't get the planeswalker yeah. bonus. Yeah, and then like re- like re- like remand and Venser effects are strong. Like return yep. your spell to your. I hand. mean, this could save uh, a key card from an abrupt decay because it doesn't counter a spell; it returns it to their hand. So yeah. if you need, say, a twin. You have the mana to play this and the twin effect, but if they try to abrupt decay your thing and you return it and then you just win on your next turn, that's very good. Yeah, I mean, I I think it costs four mana, and I think it's hard to come up with four mana. How much better is this than Cryptic Command, and how much easier is it really going to be to cast than Cryptic Command? A little bit. It's not triple it's, blue. It's definitely easier to cast. But, but how hard? If you're in a deck, you want to play Cryptic Command, are you usually not playing it because it's too hard to cast, or you're not because it's too slow? Usually it's because it's too slow. I, I think this is possibly Cryptic Command 4 or Cryptic Command 5 and 6. I, I have this card higher than you do. I have it in my uh, 5 slot. Okay. Uh, but I definitely think this card has a lot of versatility, has a lot of things that Cryptic Command doesn't do, like kill things, and it has a little bit better 2-for-1 value to it because you can get things off the board. I mean, there's definitely a lot of play to this card. I'm definitely going to be acquiring a foil and putting it into my Highland Roulette deck. That's <laughs> what I can say for it. All right. Uh, 
Number seven. We're on the number seven. My number seven is Gideon, ally of Zendikar. Really? You like this guy? Yeah. I think that he does a lot of really important things that token decks can kind of respect. A, he's a he's a threat for four mana. I think he's definitely uh, above curve when it comes to his ability just to get in there as a four mana 5-5. Five five. That's harder to kill than ge- in general. Uh, I also think that as a just he protects himself like good planeswalkers do. Making right. a two two token every turn is definitely powerful. And the fact that when he comes into play, if you worst case scenario you just have some one one tokens around and you need a like a pump effect, he can emblem out and you just get the ultimate that he has. So like the fact that he does three different things pretty strong as soon as he comes into play, all valuable. I think he's very similar to uh, Elsbeth with a slightly better hit like versus. Ugh, sorry, with a slightly better use when applied to decks that are playing Lingering Souls. So I think he's a little bit better than maybe Elsbeth has been in the past. I think that's fair. I mean, you don't see a tremendous amount of Elspeth in, in, in Modern. I mean, you see some. True. But I, I looked at this card, and the thing that stuck out to me that, that I liked the most was Gideon at 4 mana is cool, because Gideon at 5 mana was always a little slow. And I also like the fact that 2 twos for 0. I mean, anytime... Two twos for zero just is sweet. Like I like that a lot. Right. Um, well, but... look, look at uh, not Raul Zarek, uh, the red green bad yeah. guy from last yeah. year, uh, Xenagos. If you look at Xenagos, like he's probably close to playable. The problem is his plus is pretty irrelevant in modern. Yeah. Where this is a much better plus because getting a five five indestructible, prevent all damage, done do it creature is very good. It's fair. I'm gonna move on to another silly card that I think. <laughs> okay. Number seven, Herald of Kozilek. Devoid. He has no color. <laughs> he is one blue, one red, one colorless for a 2-4. I think he's an Eldrazi. Um, and he makes all colorless colorless spells. Is it color spells or colorless creatures? Colorless spells. All colorless spells you cast cost one, one less. colorless less to cast. So anyone who listens to this podcast knows I love Grand Architect. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows the combination of cards you surround Grand Architect with to make him good are always awkward because of the fact that they're curves. This doesn't work of, with Grand Architect. I know, he's not, not blue. blue. <laughs> um, the question I had to ask myself was, is this just better than Grand Architect and what Grand Architect was trying to do originally? It's not a lord, but it has four toughness to begin with, so it doesn't just get lightning bolted immediately. It Essentially, its ability has haste in the same way that Architect d- did, and on curve with Ethereum Sculptor... It's sweet in all the same ways. I mean, well, it, I I think Grand Architect requires a lot of things to go right. This plus the fact that you can play eight of them with Ethereum Sculptor does give you a lot of play in very interesting ways. So I definitely think there's the fact that that is so consistent and that effect now is is available in that way makes it much stronger than what you were getting with Master of Ethereum, which was pretty inconsistent and you mean non- Grand Architect. <laughs> Uh, and not resistant to damage from lightning bolts and other effects. It all should be noted the second uh, the second uh, Herald of Kozilek is cheaper off the first Herald of Kozilek because it's colorless. True, which yeah. is relevant. Well, same as uh, Architect. No. Ar- no, 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 no. Ethereum the, sculptor. The Ethereum sculptor. Yeah, the same thing. So that's pretty interesting. Um, but anyway, that is kind of I know that's a stretch, guys. If you you know if you listen to the podcast, then you know that this is one of those things I'm kind of obsessed with, and it's just jumped out at me. So, all right, so. We're now uh, the last card in the the top five. Uh, mine is, or do you want to go? Well, I guess we'll switch for the bottom half of the top five. All right. So the last card for the top five, mine is Retreat of Coral Helm. 
treat of coral ham. Yeah, How you, you don't even know with... what this. You don't even know what card this is. No, I know what it is. I, it's, a, it's, a, it's it's a blue card. I know it's a blue card. No, I. I, <laughs> I, I, I feel like it's so crazy that you and I came up with like such. So this is a blue for lists. two colorless. A two colorless and a blue. Uh, landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield, choose one of the two things. That's part of the enchantment cycle. Uh, and the two are: you may tap or untap target creature, or you can scry one. The thing to remember is there are actually combos with it already in existence. So the fact is that with um, Knight of the Reliquary, you get unlimited Knight of the Re- Reliquary triggers with it in play because you untap Knight, so you can cycle through your whole deck, making Knight infinitely, not infinitely large, just large as many lands in your deck, plus you get the effects you need to maybe get him through to kill them. You also get double triggers if you have fetch lands off of it. It also does interesting things with Sacred Tribe Scout, and um, you can make an enormous amount of mana with Lotus Cobra with the ability to get a turn three Emrakul into play. Um, And there's like a lot of consistent effects that kind of go along with it in the format that there's definitely something possibly interesting to build around this card. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind it. It, The only issue I have with it is it's a three-man enchantment that doesn't do anything the turn comes into play, so it's just a little dicey, but I mean, it's right. I, its ability untaps creatures, and creatures make mana. And if you play one of those on turn one, this is a turn two play. So. You can also you can also play it and play a fetch, and then hold that fetch to like theoretically tap a creature in response to them doing something. You can because you can tap a permanent as well. Well, yeah, but tap it's still a, a turn later. Anyway, yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't think it's terrible. I just it seems I'm having to think outside the box a little bit to make it right, right. in my mind. Uh, my number six are it's the cycle of spell lands, the new ones. The I believe they're uncommons. Yep, the, um, they're what are they? So white is it's like a gain life effect or something. No, no, that's that's the old one. The white one is uh, target creature gets plus one and gains vigilance instead of turn. The blue one is target creature tap. Uh, target creature and it does not untap during the next untap step. Uh, the red one is plus one plus one and first strike. Yeah. Uh, to a creature, the black one, which I think is probably the best it's one, the best one. You get a creature from your graveyard cre- your library. Yep. And then the green one is you get to look at the top four cards of your library and put a, a land on top. It's top four to five. I think it's top five. It is the top five. Yeah, and so it's but it's you may, which is interesting because if you don't want to land on top, you don't have to do it. Right. Correct. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think the black. Is the most likely to see play, followed by the green one, followed by the blue one. These, I mean, like, a few of these from the last time they printed the spell lands have all seen play. The Yeah, the red and the black. Bajuka Bog and the white one were the, the in standard, the red one saw the most play, but in oh, the Eternal white one is the protection, yes, so yeah, correct. you could attack through. That's right. Yeah, I mean, and, and back in the day when they got printed, when they were in standard with Knight, uh, Knight of the Rock it was very powerful with these right. cards because you could sort of toolbox your deck well and, and the green one saw play because it makes the plant token like the the oh, yeah, the world wake cycle was very good actually yeah halimar depths i've used in a bunch yeah. of decks before that card's powerful well i mean yeah it's pretty powerful yeah yeah the the the, the original zendikar cycle didn't see as much play i think the one that saw the most play was teetering peaks which is the red one and then the other the other four from the next set were the ones that saw a lot of play halimar depths the protection from color sajiri step like all those spell lands are powerful because you get a free effect from a land that you're just going to play anyways and it lets you kind of move your curve around i definitely like these yeah they're not as powerful as those ones we mentioned i don't think uh but we never we won't know until we play with them right um okay i'm gonna jump in now and lead the top five because you led the bottom five sure Go my for it. number five card ally elf Flunky or something. Beast Master. Beast Caller Savant. <laughs> so I think it's a Shaman Elf Ally. There you go. Shaman he's got, Elf he's Ally. He's got three of those creature types. Beast Caller Savant. I believe he's a 1 1 green creature for a green and a colorless with haste. Tap to add one colorless mana to your mana pool. Use this mana only to cast creature spells. Um, 
here are the reasons this card is interesting to me. Number one, creatures that come into play and add mana immediately, or that add mana and have haste, are remarkably rare. Number two, he's an elf. Number three, elves. Wait, is it one man of any color or one colorless? Any color. Yeah, any color. Elves often cost one that produce mana, which means on turn two, this guy's going to chain into a, an elvish mystic or something like that. Or I guess you don't play, uh, what's it called? You don't play Hierarch, but you play Heritage Druid. So this is very interesting in that kind of a deck. It's also interesting just to think um, it's, I mean, I, I guess that's pretty much the reason that I like this card, but it, it's any color. So it, it just seems powerful and unique. That's all. You know what's interesting about it to me? Hmm. It has Lotus Cobra. He's holding one in the art, but that's it. That's the only thing. He's holding a Lotus Cobra? <laughs> yeah, in the art right there. Is you, this, you can't is this, see it. But, this is worse than Lotus Cobra, though. Yeah, by, by like a wide margin. Well, I mean, it's an elf, so there's, you know, the, the I guess the other side is like, you can if you top deck him, you can hit with him, so that's valuable. But I mean, th- there is something very relevant to the fact that he's a haste a deck, elf that can produce mana and chain into other elves. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. In a deck that plays Elvish Mystic on turn one, Turn two, that deck could play Lotus Cobra and go crazy. No, this makes this makes Elvish. I don't think Lotus Cobra belongs in elves. I think this makes Elvish Archdruid slightly better because you can turn one elf, turn two this, and another elf. Turn three, Elvish Archdruid, and now you have plus. You can tap for another mana. So by that point, you now have that like five plus elves in play. That is a very good place for the elf deck to be at. Yes, by turn three, exactly. And it's the same. It's the same kind of thing where Collected Company. If it hits this guy and you have an Elvish Mystic in your hand, but you went all in on company, then you get this guy in play and you cast right. the Mystic. It's it's just very in tune with what that sort of thing wants to be doing in modern. Yep, fair enough. All right. Uh, my number five was Brutal Explosion. We talked about it already. It's the blue-red, two-colorless, uh, Bounce and Burn. I love that card. It's the exact type of card I like playing. Venser is one of my favorite cards ever, probably. So, like, this is right in line with that. I love the fact that you can bounce things you can't counter. You can stop an Ember Cool if you want to. What are some of our favorite? Um, what are some of our favorite two color uncommons that have been printed over the last couple of years? Where we have the same reaction, where we look at them and we go, "God, that card's sweet." We both basically know it's not going to be power enough, like powerful enough to actually see play, but it's like gets us both excited enough to want to get a foil. Ones that come to mind for me, both uh, Spellheart Chimera was one like that. Horizon Chimera. That is. Those that was the blue green three two flyer flash when you draw, when you draw a card gain a life from uh, Theros as well as Spellheart Chimera was the one was oh, okay. the X three trample for blue red Nicolas flying. Its uh, power was Rune Chanter's Pike. Oh, oh, oh okay. So these are like the kind of cards when I see them and I'm like, oh, that card's sweet. See, I, I don't know if I agree because this is very good with Snapcaster Mage. That's something we didn't mention before because you can bounce back the Snapcaster Mage to your hand so you can rebuy it which is always a good ability, which means you can kill two things. And also, the exile effect is super relevant, and that's something that Cryptic Band is not good against. Yeah. Something like Kitchen Finks, where, like, instead of Kitchen Finks dying, you exile it. There's a lot of play with this card that I think is being underrated, and I'd love to see what happens with it in the future. Fair enough. Um, my, my number four is Crumble the Dust, which we already talked about. That's the four-mana Sowing Salt, so we can actually jump ahead now. All right, so my number four is conv- uh, Bring Delight. Oh, that's my number three. Okay, so, well, we'll just talk about the book now. So my number four, your number three is Bring Delight. So this is the blue-green tutor. Uh, So it's blue-green, three mana, uh, converge. For every mana spent on this, you can search your deck for a card with an equal converted mana cost to how many colors you spent to play it, and you exile it, and then you can play it for free. 
Um, this card seems awesome. It seems like one of the better tutors printed currently in modern because you get to play it for free. The fact that you can find any kind of piece to any combo you need and get to cast it. So like something that has always been slow about something like a glittering wish, which is another tutor is you tap out on turn two, but then you're not doing anything. You have to then cast the spell you find. This lets you cast it for free, which seems really strong. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of interesting things about this card, right? It compares to let's let's just sort of go through the list of the cards that have similar effects in modern that we've seen. Uh, Glittering Wish comes to mind. Court of Calling comes to mind. Wargate comes to mind. Enlightened Tutor, kind of. Enlightened Tutor, never get an enchantment. It doesn't see play in modern. Idealic Tutor, you mean? Idealic Tutor. Idealic Tutor comes to mind. Green Sun Zenith originally came to mind. Um, a lot of these cards are very powerful. Very like, you powerful. Notice at least, at least most of them have either been banned or have like one multiple pro tours. <laughs> yeah. So I or, mean, pro tours and or GPS. Birthing pod is a card that. Yeah. Had, yeah. Similar I mean, effect. To to my, to me, when I think about those cards, we just rifled through the one that consistently has seen the most play. In fa- I mean, other than Pod, in Fair Decks has been Court of Calling. Yeah. Um, this, I would say, is better than Court of Calling. It's just more diverse. Um, you, you can do more with it. Because you can you don't need to have a bunch of creatures in play. You can yeah. just cast this. You just need three to five mana to get something sweet. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. I mean, when you consider Rampy Decks that, like... And then you also think about things that are just, like, under-costed. And it's number of colors spent, right? Yeah. So... It's domain or... Yeah. Yeah, so you're probably going to be getting a three or a four drop in most cases in the kind of decks you'd be playing this in. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's possible you'd be getting five drop with it, but... Rare. Uh, the, like, look at, like, Rug Splinter Twin decks yeah. could get either one of the parts of the combo. They can use this to do other... Like, there are a lot of weird things that we've talked about in the past where, like, I wish there was more of this effect. Or, like, uh, I mean, I'm a big toolbox person in general, so this definitely offers the versatility of, like, oh, I can get a ca- like a Venser, or I can get yeah. a Counterspell, or I can get something cool. Definitely an interesting... Yeah, I mean, they they definitely did some interest. Yeah, okay, so... so um, Sorry, backing up, getting kind of crazy excited there as I was thinking about all the, the various things this card could do. <laughs> um, doesn't it state that you, you may cast without... It's casting cost, but it doesn't stay until end of turn, right? So you cast the spell, Correct. and then the card exists... Just in in exile for you until you want to use it. Correct. Yeah, which is that's very powerful because that means you don't oh, have to. Oh, uh, I think I'm wrong. You may cast that card without paying its mana cost, but it's part of the effect. You have to spend it then. Do you? I think so. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we might find out when they do the comprehensive rules, but I'm pretty positive you have to pay for it. You have to play it as part of the effect resolving. Okay. If you want to play it. Fair enough. So I, I like that card. I think it's very interesting. There's some cool stuff that could be built around it. Um, you know, there's I need to talk about it all the time, but the, a good example I'll give is is like Mirror Superior or like Scab Ruinator cards that have deceptively low casting costs for a higher effect. And this is one of those cards where you can take advantage of that because it g- generically references casting cost. So there are things that are difficult to get into play, that this gets into play easily. So right. just you know, keep that in mind. Also, There's definitely really cool things this card could do. It also, uh, cost reducers, if you're going to be planning to spend three colors of mana to play this, anytime any cards you have in your deck, like Goblet Electromancer or things like that, um, speed this up in a way that is very interesting. Well, plus this also gives a lot of play towards like, you know, Birds of Paradise is very good with this card because yeah. you can use that to get that fourth mana if you need to. Exactly. Or, you know, if you just play one Splash Land or any of the like five color zoo decks. Like, the, I mean, this isn't a good zoo card, but 
there is the kind of area you could be thinking about. Like any, you can do five color mana modern, not that difficultly. Yeah, it's not too hard. Um, okay, number three for me was that. What is your number three? Uh, my number three is the Sacklands. So these are the five. Um, they have a very specific name: the Blighted Lands. Uh, the each one for each color. They all come to play and tap, tap for a colorless, uh, and then they each tap to sack with a mana cost uh to for an effect uh, so the I, green one gets two basic lands in a, on the battlefield tap the correct. blue one for six mana draws two cards yep the, the red one shocks something for, for five, five mana the black one uh you target opponent sacrifices a creature and the white one for five and the white one gains you two life for each creature you control so here's my thing um and i mentioned this earlier it's the same idea with the with the awaken counterspell if these were on color um, and the green one you know, produced green, so on and so forth, I would probably be a little bit more sympathetic. The issue is I don't know how many modern decks have a mana base that can necessarily support an effect you're not going to get, a, a kind of a marginal effect you're not going to get until late game that only produces colorless early. When you think about the colorless lands that get played in modern consistently, you're talking about Desolate Lighthouse gets used early in the game. Ghost Quarter sp- serves a very specific purpose in the metagame. Um, Gavany Township. Gavany Township is a linchpin in its own deck. Yeah, but if you look at these cards, how many cards have six mana draw two cards? How many lands? Like, that's that's insane. So, so that maybe... That's just, like, you comes in play, and the blue card eventually lets you something. How many lands kill a creature outright? I can't think of any. Sacrifice a creature. You, right, but that card is dead now. I mean, yes, it's not destroy target creature, but like even target player sacrifices creature is very good. And like against a twin matchup in like Grixis twin versus regular twin in Grixis decks, like they're this lets you kind of beat the mirror because they're only going to have one creature and it's going to be the one they combo on. For the sake of modern, in the mana bases that I've built for the decks I've come up with, it's always like. Okay, how many of these colored slots well, can no, I this, turn into a colorless land? This is your twenty sixth land. Okay, but I'm saying like. You, f- you you would want to be fitting Ghost Quarter into your deck, into your main deck if you could in every modern deck anyway, just so that game one you'd have game against Tron. And if, you, if you've if you already fit your Ghost Quarters in, then I guess you could think about playing this. That's I don't even I know feel. if I want to fit Ghost Quarter in every deck I have. I think in some decks I'd rather have some of these than Ghost Quarter, especially if I have a good, like in Twin, I have a good Tron matchup. Maybe. I don't no. need I don't need help against Tron. I need help against other grindy decks like Jund or Junk, and drawing two cards is a great way to get parity against them. Fair enough. Well, my two and my one are related, and if you're listening and you've paid attention to the spoiler already... Mine are two. I think we have the exact same one and two. Did you put blue-green or black-white as number one? Uh, blue-green is not number one. Okay, me too. Yeah. So the, the Manlands. Yes, uh, which are called Shambling Vent and uh, Lumba... Can't read my handwriting. Uh, uh, Sham- lumbering vents, uh, lumbering falls, and shambling vent. So yes. shambling vent is the black one. It is one colorless, two black, uh, to make it into a two-three creature, and it can tap for either white or black mana. It comes into play tap. It's one colorless and one black and one white to turn it. Yes, up. yes. You said two black. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was wrong. Uh, and then uh, lumbering falls is uh, two mana, uh, a green and a blue to make a three-three hexproof creature. Uh, lumbering falls is so difficult to kill. Yeah, I mean, really if you can think of the number kill. of cards that can kill it. You need an instant speed board wipe that does more than two, da- three, or more damage, which I can't like. I can't really think of any. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, like the the, the white black one is is good uh, in some cases. I think I think if you have a deck that's playing both black and white and you need some type of life gain, white black is decent. I think a two three that gains you life eventually is not a bad card. Our friend Eric was building a black white 
token decks. sort of tokensy hand disruption deck that played like tons of thought seizes and bitter blossoms and all this stuff. And he would find it seemed like in his matchups he was finding more and more that he was losing life and he needed ways to offset the life loss. This is an interesting option for that kind of a deck that is using aggressively using bitter blossom and thought seize and right. doesn't have. Well, I think I think well. A, I think you just slide four of these into black white tokens to, immediately. Maybe there's no reason not to be playing the the man land. You you have a lot of turns where you can kind of play lands tapped. I also think like Mardu decks. The previous option for Mardu is the black red man land, and that one was always kind of underpowered because it's it's a two two that you have to pump mana into in a format with lightning bolt. This can also get lightning bolted, but you're still it's the three mana investment that you'd be spending anyways, and yeah. that's fine. I would probably I don't think I'd say four, but I'd say you you could very easily slide two. Uh, I think putting two of these. No, into I mean, all blue white decks control like play four uh, celestial colonnades. Well, that's I mean, because that's it's a celestial four, colonnade four is amazing. Flyer. But they're it's like the game winner. Almost every two color deck, if you can play the manland, you play all of them. Well, also though, maybe three instead of four. Remember that black white tokens, and especially the versions we're talking about that are heavy on hand disruption, they they need. Turn, yeah, but not everyone's one, hand. Two, that's and just three. List. <laughs> no, turns one, two, and three in those decks are very important. You you don't have the luxury if you keep a two lander and one of them is a tap land. That means you're making the decision: Am I going to play my disruption spell on turn one, or am I not going to play it and play my bitter blossom on turn two? And you don't want to be in the position where your curve is like affected heavily like that. So that's why I'm saying one or two of them. I don't think you can get away with four of them in a deck that has a low curve like that. Whereas blue white. Yeah, those control decks that play colonnade well, turn one you're often colonnade. just yeah. playing colonnade you don't care like so but but i mean you could be right i don't know and the then, thing to keep in mind though and this is for all of the lands we're talking about is these let you go high end lands like the reason that jund is able to play 24 25 lands is because it has the red green man land it's able to like get away with the fact that oh i can get in there and another question is is yes a three four reach is better because the lightning bolt but how much better like i would rather maybe even play a split of white black and green white than the four green white in abzan because a versatility you know i have different effects when possibly i need different effects but b you know my black white mana is way more essential than my green mana i need one green mana for tarmogoy for that's it i need too white or too black for many of the spells in the deck i'm with you i think the only the only thing there that i'm like really focusing on is just the difference between four toughness and three toughness is so significant i mean it's so it matters so much putting three man into your land that then gets bolted then it you know what i'm saying that's like that's like backbreaking oh but three man like there's a lot of creatures that see play that are three mana but this you don't have to do but it it's if, a land you, they kill your land for three mana right but you don't do it turn three or turn yeah. four no, you I, do it turn eight when you're like well i'm top decking but i have this land that's just been sitting there forever that i can now get a huge advantage out of it's my number two card i mean let's yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but as far as the blue green man land goes oh, that was awesome it's interesting to think that the black white one has more of a home uh the blue green one in the slower decks that play blue green it's you're actually harder pressed to think of decks that would play it uh, in fact i mean like blue green in fact is a deck that might play it uh just from the fact that a they have a little bit more time where they can play a tapped land because it's so much of a just like no, I totally disagree with you. I, I think it doesn't fit there. I think I think the best places are, are so efficiently is Rug Twin. I think yeah. this is better than uh, the other options they have because it's so much more of an ine inevitability. Yeah, and it's very hard to deal with. Yeah, I, I blue. That's that. That makes a little more sense to me. I was thinking because the, the other slow decks in these colors are like Scape Shift, but like that doesn't want this card. That doesn't. This no, doesn't. It, it, unless you're cutting spells for it, this card because you, your lands are very specific. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean. 
this is the kind of card that I go. Is there going to be? Is there a rug control deck that's going to come up? Well, but that, something to keep in mind: these could be like there are the two color decks. Maybe in enemy colors have not seen as much play because they don't have a good man land. Yeah, or they don't have a man land at all, and these might offer that to those colors. There might be like I do think black white tokens gets a power level boost because they now have a man land. I do think blue green decks like some type of blue green tempo deck could get a shot on the arm because now they have this very difficult to fight threat that just exists for the mana and makes their deck better just from a consistency level well just let's just think for a second just spitball okay so if grixis control is a very strong deck we've seen recently let's just say you cut the black out of grixis and you make that rug instead so your angler becomes tarmogoyf which is i mean a negligible difference i guess it's two and it's going to be smaller but nonetheless like it's what people have done in the past yeah yeah this is a card that would slot into that kind of a build no very easily well, imagine how does grixis control beat this card if you're able to get rid of their five fives like, if you can kill their creatures if you have any type of removal spell or bounce spell even because delve is terrible against bounce spells how does how do they beat a three three hex proof yeah, I mean, it's a very, very difficult S card. Same to as Twin, with. to be that totally honest. Like, how does Twin beat this card if you have more than four mana? It's a 3-3. Three, three. I mean, like, you'd have to... Yeah, I guess I guess Deceiver Exarch blocks it, but... You're, like, slag-storming creatures, I guess? Like, this is this is another card that I think makes, like, uh, um, blue, black, green, so Saltai decks yeah. a little bit more viable. Cause, because it's lightning bolt resistant. I mean, to your point, like... One of the problems with creeping tar pit is that it just dies to everything. Yeah. And unblockability doesn't matter as much as just not dying, and this doesn't die to anything. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Nothing can kill this card. Yeah, so yeah that's our number one pick. It's the blue green man land. It's definitely the the blue green man land is it's funny because it's it's the most I sort of inherently powerful card on the list, but it's also the one one of the least likely to just see play immediately just because it doesn't have a home yet. Um, I think of the 10 on my list, if I had to pick one that was definitely going to see play, like over all of the other cards on the list, I think it would probably have to be Crumble to Dust. That seems oh, Crumble to be... Dust is the only auto slide. Yeah. Like, auto, just slots into decks already. But it's um, a side, like, is it the most powerful? I, I think the most powerful card is Blue Green Man Land. Do you have any honorable mentions? I have I have a few. So, and we were supposed to do this before the number one, but because number one was kind of like two of a cycle that'll eventually be completed, which I guess we didn't mention, I'm very excited to see what the black, green, yeah. white, red, and blue, red ones are. Those are all going to be, gonna be so sweet. sweet. Or, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the blue one's the worst of maybe the 10. The blue, red one? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if blue, red needs help. <laughs> I hope blue, red is like some sort of like flying 2-2 two -two creature that activates for two that like shocks and draws a card when it deals damage like a I sword would, on a I stick would, i would not be surprised if it <laughs> either was prowess or uh aphidian yeah probably nothing i mean what my I guess is it's going to be an aphidian my guess is it's when it does damage to a player draw a card it's three mana for like a 2-2 two -two flyer not not even fly just 2-2 two -two when it does damage to a player draw a card crappy uh, i mean um, i wouldn't be surprised even if it's a 1-4 do damage to a player draw a card like it literally <laughs> just is aphidian if he was a 1-3 yeah, I think it was a one. Three. Yeah, so just a one three. It's blister coil, or it's a it's a frostburn weird with that pump that draws yeah. a card. All right, fair uh, give me give me one of your honorable mentions. All right, honorable mentions. Uh, so the first one I do want to talk about is the new dual lands. I do think maybe we'll see ones ofs or two of play. They get kind of hurt from the fact that a the decks that want them the most are like your mana bases are kind of dangerous because you know you don't want to get hit by. Um, Capsule Islands. Oh, Choke? Yeah, so like Choke and Blood Moon, these kind of don't help you against. And they are never, like, they're never going to come into play untapped. 
So the question is, is do you want an option of a land that will sometime just guarantees comes into play tapped? And I don't think that's true. Well, here's the thing about these, because I thought about these as well. So my initial reaction when I saw them was the same that everybody had. It was, oh my God, we have lands that duels that are both types again. So there's actually, there's an actual option here. There's another land that's been printed, right? But then you start to think about it. You start to actually do the math, especially for modern. I listened to Chapin and Flores on Top Level Podcast do a whole episode of breaking these things down for standard, not for modern. Standard, they're awesome. And Chapin's whole thing was he was like, imagine you're playing a deck where the first two lands you search out from your fetches are basics. You just make your deck so that you can function off of all these different fetches, and you fetch two basics, and now the rest of the game, why would I ever play a single, why would I ever play a pain land? Because every single shock, or not shock, every battle land, yeah. I pay once and I get it forever for free. And it, it's if you think about it, obviously we don't play pain lands in modern for the most part, but there's enough two-color decks that are playing a lot of fetches with maybe two shocks where it wouldn't really hurt to play two of these plus your two One shocks. or two of them. Yeah, so, like, I think that's possible. And and you could structure it so that turns one and turn three, you search out basics. And now the rest of the game, you have you know, you know you can just search these guys out first and you don't have to bother. It's it's I mean it's a marginal. So I guess I guess my question situation. is all those two color decks, would you most of them would not play these over the fast lands. The you have to have three or less lands, and they come into play on But tapped. those only are allied colors. Oh, these are these are only allied colors. colors. <laughs> True. Uh, the other thing I would say is, do these? I'm already not playing full sets of shocks in any of my decks. Yeah, you play. And a shock is just always better than this in modern because most of the time this is going to come play tapped. Where same as a sh- like, I can always fetch a shock and let it come to play tapped. In standard, these are awesome because. There's a lot of lands I'd play that come into play tap but fix my mana. Try lands, the, the scry lands, the fact that I can tutor these with the fetches in the format. Like, you can play pretty much any color combination you want in modern, in standard starting two weeks from now, which is going to be awesome. Like, I'm completely in favor of what standard is going to look like with these. Yeah, the, but, like, the, like, three and four color standard aggro decks are going to be sweet. Right. So, that's cool. Modern... I don't see them seeing play. All right. My, Maybe uh, as a one-of or a two-of in some two-color decks. We're running short on time, so I'm actually just... You want to rattle your... I have, I have three. Do you want to finish yours? Uh, Sure. Uh, the next one is Painful Truths. This is the draw three... Or converge draw cards. One black, life. two colorless. Um, I think just drawing three cards for three mana is very good. I think Jund and Grix and other decks have played Harmonize just for that effect. And this is just better than that in most cases. Um. I think it could see play. I don't know exactly if it's going to, but it, it's definitely a powerful effect that we we haven't seen a three mana draw three cards straight up ever. It's fine. It doesn't get me overwhelmingly excited. Uh, I think that the difference between a third card and a third life and scry two off of read the bones is maybe a half half a percentage point in my mind. Like selection is significant. Um, Scry two draw two is like not modern playable, so I don't know. I don't. Right. I, don't I can't see it, especially when you would have to have the third color. So you're curving out. I don't know. Just whatever. It doesn't. It's better, but it's maybe better by like six percent. And I don't know if that makes it playable. Um, what's your third? Uh, Zulaport Cutthroat. Okay. This is the Blood Artist 2.0. So exactly what does it do? Uh, so it's like Blood Artist. So uh, Blood Artist and this both have when a creature you control dies, including this one, uh, you gain a life and they lose a life. How much does it cost to play? Uh, two mana. One black, one colorless. Uh, the difference between this and Blood Artist is Blood Artist triggers also off of your opponent's creatures, and this only triggers off of your own. 
Mind you, the decks that generally want to play this kind of effect is about abusing it on your own side. This is a card that I could see... Like, having eight Blood Artist effects makes Blood Art, like, decks that rely on that effect much stronger. Well, that'll lead directly into my uh, honorable mentions. The first one I'll mention is Blister Pod, um, which is in line with what you're talking about. Uh, Blister Pod is one green for a 1-1, I believe, that when it dies, you get a 0-1 Eldrazi into play. Right. It harkens back to Doom Traveler. There's also a black colorless 2-1 that does the same thing in this set. Yes, but it's tossed two. So yeah. my, my, I was saying before we started recording this, it's not that I think that Blister Pod is like overwhelmingly powerful. I saw Sam Black tweet about this, and he was like, it's interesting that when a set comes out where the most powerful card is Green Doom Traveler. I, t- I take that note, and I th- and the reason I say it is because so effects like this where you have something that you sacrifice and you get something out of it immediately to then be sacrificed again, they're right. unique enough that when you distill it down to its cheapest cost, which is a one-mana one-one, it's now interesting that we have eight of them in modern. Um, I definitely, I definitely want to. Maybe as soon as we're done, I'll start doing it. Start want to brew a Abzan um, Aristocrats deck. I think there's a lot of the pieces now for that deck to exist. You have this. You have Doom Traveler. You have like there's a lot of cool cards that replace themselves. Plus you have cards that now benefit you. Because before we had like just aristocrats that like kind of get in there for damage but now you have stuff like the smothering abomination imagine like these cards with that coming into play and just like drawing a bunch of cards off of it like there's a lot of cool effects in here that exist now that i'm definitely interested in trying out wouldn't in a deck like that wouldn't like and maybe i'm just this is crazy but like didn't orzov charm for for two mana return a uh a one mana or less creature to the battlefield isn't that how it worked? Yeah, that's not play in the original Aristocrats deck. Right, so day. so like in standard, so if you have eight one-drops now that make another one-drop that you can sacrifice, and then this spell would double over as a way to, for two mana, end of turn, get one of those things back into play, or also destroy a creature, I wouldn't be surprised if you could see something like that happen. It's versatile. Um, play a couple of them in your deck. I will just list off my other two quickly. I have the new Kiora, which is four mana for a four loyalty planeswalker. It's a green, a colorless, and two or a green, a blue, and two colorless. For plus one, you can untap a creature and a land. Sort of similar to like a Garrick, a hybrid of like a Garrick and another planeswalker, because it has the ability to protect itself. It's and like ramp. Ral Zarek and Garrick had a baby named Kiora. Yeah. What's <laughs> cool about it is that um, it's green, so often you'll be playing ramp creatures to get this out of turn early and so the it fact just that is you... essentially a Garrick. Yeah. I, I guess my my question is why would you play this over Garrick? Uh because Garrick didn't draw you cards. Garrick was minus to make creatures, which is fine, but if you needed to protect yourself, you could plus. Whereas this one it's minus ability is look at the top 4 and put a land and a creature from it. Yeah, you your you, hand. you essentially it's a minus to draw 2 versus get a 3/3 three, three creature. So that's powerful. Um it's it's card advantage instead of just making dudes. Uh, I love Garrick. Garrick has seen play. There's the, the, been decks yeah, in yeah. The the alt on her is also better than Garrick, which I know I, d- I generally recommend not thinking about alts, but Garrick is an overrun, which is decent, but she like basically wins the game when she alts, which is really good. Uh, what's your next last? My last one is pretty silly. It's Ugin's Insight, and I want to say Ugin's Insight costs blue and five colorless. It's a sorcery, which is uh, draw... Scry three and then draw cards equal to the highest converted mana cost amongst permanents you control. I just looked at this and thought, okay, put this into a blue Tron no, it's, list. It's the other way around. Oh, it's, it, it's scry equal to the number oh, of permanents yeah, you have yeah, yeah. And control then, and then draw three. And then draw three. So six mana draw three is bad. Uh, you don't want to play that in Tron. It's a five mana. Uh, is it? I think so, yeah. In fact... Look that up while I'm talking. Um, I I don't... If it's, if it's five mana, it's definitely playable. 
if it's six mana, it's probably not playable. But the thing about Tron is it's that... It's five mana. Okay, it's two blue and three colors. Yeah. See, that's pretty playable in, in blue Tron. Because you honestly, you honestly could get there pretty fast... You're going to have permanence in play often early. Like, you'll have Oblivion Stones in play and things like that. Like, it doesn't... Imagine you had Oblivion Stone and you resolved this on turn six after you've, like, Pyroclasmed or I guess you're playing Blue Tron, whatever it is. The fact that, like, you... For five mana, you might be Scry three, draw three. Or it's possible that if you're playing this mid-game, maybe you have a Worm Coil or a Karn or something in play. Now it's Scry seven, draw three. You're essentially just saying, like, I'm going to win this game. Like, there's nothing you can do to stop me from winning because I'm looking at my next seven draws and, and picking the best three. Um, I mean, Dig Through Time is banned in the format, and this does a little bit of a Dig Through Time impersonation in that exact regard. But it's draw three. Right, you get one extra card, but it costs five mana versus possibly costing two at instant speed. Yeah, I think it's bad. <laughs> I think it's bad, but um, but it is. I put it in the honorable mentions because... Yeah, I can see it, I can see it being a thing. Yeah. Uh, I guess I have one last one, and that's Zillaport Cutthroat. Not, not that. I guess I have one last honorable mention, and that is Conduit of Ruin, which is the Eldrazi Tutor. It's the put a seven drop. On you get a si- for six mana. You get seven or more put on top of your library, and then the next spell you cast costs two less. So the first it, creature spell of each turn you play costs two less. Right. To cast. So that that seems pretty sweet in Tron in general. I don't know how great it's going to be. I just thought I'd bring it up. Uh, the last thing we want to bring up before we finish off the podcast, uh, there are three reprints to keep eyes out: Sylvan Scrying, Dispel, and Anticipate. All staples of modern all in the new set we didn't bring them up in our top 10 because they exist already yeah uh we will stuff like uh goblin pile driver we will bring up more often but this is definitely not yeah you dispel sylvan scrying they already exist in the format yeah it's so whatever but uh yeah i mean i don't know guys we were a little hard on the set tell us what you think i would love to know what your favorite cards are in the set find us tweet at us and let us know your thoughts on battle for zendikar did i misevaluate a card did kessler overvalue a card did whoa uh (laughs) I don't know. I would love the to lands know are guys... sweet. All the land, like the the one thing I will say for the return to the land set, the fact that my top three and to be totally honest, I knew you were going to put the spell land, so I didn't include my top ten. Yeah. But my top, probably my top four picks for the, from the set were all lands. Is pretty cool. Um, it's definitely an interesting set. Uh, a little lower on power level after coming off of Cons Block, where every set was like, oh, we have like five tournament staples yeah. for modern, just at a minimum. Um. Remember the tweet us. We are at the MM Cast. I am at Kess Wiley. I'm at Ben Bateman Media. Uh, remember to check out our sister podcast, The Command Zone. They are on RocketJump.com as well, and that's where we are at. You can email us at the MMCast at RocketJump.com if you have some long diatribe you want to talk to us about, or if you have a deck list where we love looking at them. Uh, make sure to check in next week. We come out every Monday and or Tuesday, depending on how consistent i get quickly on that email note um guys i i get forwarded alex runs the email account uh i, I occasionally i'll check in with him and, and like look at the full thing but he'll usually forward ones over to me that if it's a deck that i had talked about or an idea and i try to respond to all of them i think once or twice i've gotten one i've read it and then it's gotten lost and i've forgotten to respond if that's the case please just know i a hundred percent want to respond to everybody and just just resend it be like hey i checked in on this thing i didn't hear and if you if you have a question, reference it again because I absolutely will respond. Um, I just I'm doing like a million projects at once, so yeah. sometimes the email. Generally, what will happen is I'll, I'll respond to most of just the the fun ones, and then or we'll read it on the cast once in a while. But the deck lists, Ben will either get the more brewy ones, and then I'll do some tweaking if it's more of an established list. Uh, so yeah, thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week. Yeah, see you guys soon. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the MMCast at rocketjump.com. See you later, alligator.